This is the Bob McCown Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Richard Deitch in this week for Bob as we proceed. Uh, and we, we gotta, you know, we, we we have to do a little bit of hockey every once in a while just to keep <laughs> just to keep the producer happy. Right. Um, but we also have to do a little bit of New York just for you, Richard. So uh, Mike Keenan's gonna join us today. Uh it's a long time ago now. It was 54 years between cups when Keenan took the Rangers to the championship in 94 and they haven't won since. <laughs> so. Yeah, John, I mean, like, you know, the reality is like New York city, it's really at its core baseball town, a little bit, you know, basketball to giants and jets fans will tell me it's football town. I get it. Football's the most popular sport, but really at its core, it's baseball town. That said, that 1994 Rangers team like li- will live forever in that city's lore because of how they won. Mark Messier was so sort of iconic to that city. The famous Mateau, Mateau, like called during that playoff run. Howie Rose. So, yeah, Mike. what Mike Keenan did, like he did something for Rangers fans, long-suffering Rangers fans that they'll never forget, never forget. Well, we can only hope that he does things for long-suffering Italian fans, <laughs> and we we will explain that when we 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 get joined up with Mike after this break. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money, anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the McCallum Podcast. John Shannon with Richard Deitch, joined by uh, Iron Mike, Mike Keenan. And and before Mike speaks, Richard, I got to tell you this story. (laughs) So uh, Mike and I get uh, signed to a contract to work for NBC at the 2002 Olympic Winter Games in Salt Lake City. And <laughs> we go to a seminar in Salt Lake City. I think it was probably early November, Mike. Would that be accurate around there? I think that's about right. Yeah. So we go to this uh, seminar in, in uh, early November uh, with all these Americans. And then there's Mike and me, the two Canadians. Uh, and... Um, the, the, the seminar starts slowly and it's two or three days of Olympic stuff. And, uh, but as the, as the days were on, pe- people start to realize that the Canadians actually have more fun at Olympics than Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and so every night in the bar, everybody's walking up to the former coach of the New York Rangers and talking about the, you know, the cup eight years earlier and when are you coming back and this and that Mike's working for NBC for the Olympics. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and then on the the final night of the of the seminar, at a, a Brazilian restaurant in Salt Lake City, you know, Mike and I, the two Canadians, sitting at the back of the room. Next thing you know, sitting right beside us are Dick Ebersol and Jim McKay, hmm. and they sit and you know, Keenan and Shannon and Ebersol and McKay closed the place, yeah. telling stories and. Almost every one of those stories was McKay and Ebersol talking about the New York Rangers in 1994. That was the impact of ending the drought at Madison Square Garden. So, Mike, welcome. Um, and do I have to introduce you as, as I guess, Stan, like a champion of the New York Rangers, but you've been everywhere else between now and then. So what the heck? Good to have you here. Thank you. Appreciate it. And the, the bottom line, I don't think I ever get did get the Olympics because I ended up getting a job. Well, you got hired in Vancouver, if I recall. Right. I got hired in Vancouver between the end of the seminar and the beginning of the Olympics. No, so. I, I think it was actually uh, in oh, uh, Florida. Uh, in Florida. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's but right. Anyway, in Florida. <laughs> I was supposed to do the Olympics with you. I'm sorry, John. 
and yeah, I mean, you screwed it up, you know. Yeah, we had, again, we had, a, we had a good time without you, but you know, it would yep. it, it would it, it wouldn't be the same. So, one of the reasons that uh, we wanted to have you on is, a, you know, you got a great resume. You, you know, you've you've coached championship teams, uh, you've made an impact in people's lives, um, but you are now the coach of the Italian Olympic team in 2026. How the heck did that happen? Uh, it's one of those uh, situations that uh, just as was the case when I went to the KHL, a phone call out of the blue. And actually they had called me to ask me to recommend some individuals who I thought would be good candidates. So I did that. Uh, the Italian Federation flew to Edmonton and interviewed a number of people. And... Um, they came back and asked if I would be interested. Now, uh, I think there was another candidate in Mark Crawford, but Mark, uh, I think, decided he wanted to put himself in a position, which it turned out to be uh, correct for him to to go back and, and coach in, in Switzerland. So he's right. in Zurich now. Right. And as a result, uh, they, they asked me, well, we've, interviewed some candidates but we're more interested in uh, asking you uh, would you be interested in doing this and I said what does it entail uh, they described it and I said okay um, I would prefer if I could bring my associate along Mike Polino and of course they were happy about that because Mike's father was born in Italy Italian background and, and so it worked out well that we had coaching history, coaching uh, together in, first of all, the NHL, and then the KHL, and now in Italy. So it's uh, it's been an interesting experience so far. Uh, I signed a four-year deal at the time, and that took us through the Olympics and the World Championships in 2026. <laughs> but we have a, a, a series of tournaments every year. Uh, last year we had three, this year we'll have four, uh, the following year will be four and then the Olympic year. So it's, it's, and then we, you coach during those sessions or those tournaments and then you scout. So it's a combination of looking for hockey players and identifying players and then having training camps and selecting a team. So Mike, you know, one of the interesting things about this, um, journey that you're embarking on and obviously it must have been the same in russia is there's there's language barriers language barriers with the uh, you know you, unless you're fluent in italian but language barriers between you and um executives you'll talk to maybe potential players and so how does that work do you have a translator um around you all the time and particularly when you have to talk to any players who do not speak the languages you speak well, that's an interesting uh, <clears throat> uh, perspective, but uh, that was true when I went to Russia until I learned enough Russian to speak and give commands and direct the team. And that happened very quickly. I don't know uh, if I have just a, a great ear for languages or not, but it, it happened very quickly that I picked up enough vocabulary to, to um, communicate with the non English speaking group of players, and that was 99% of them on the Russian team in Magnitogorsk, the KHL. In this case, you'd be surprised. Everyone speaks English. All the executives are fluent. All the players are fluent. We don't have one player who can't speak English. So I don't know if it goes back to the educational system. Uh, I'm in an area that's very German as well as Italian. And a lot of these young guys can speak three languages minimum. So it, it's really that part of it. That transition has been very easy. What's the level of hockey? Uh, that's interesting. Uh, they hadn't won a gold medal since 2006. This is Team Italy. And when their first, uh, our first tournament was in Budapest. And in that tournament, there was two countries that were, that are in the big pool. And that is France and Hungary. Mm -hmm. And they play with Canada and so on. And and we beat both of those teams uh, in that tournament. And 
as a result, uh, I guess you would say that it would uh, reflect the bottom end of the t of the top teams in in the in the top uh, International Ice Hockey Federation tournaments, including Canada. So the it would reflect the bottom teams of that grouping. Uh, but you know, there was a time, Mike, when, and it still happens in lots of sports, and sometimes it still happens in hockey, where you 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 do more research into ancestry than you do about what the hockey player's career is, because you know, was his grandmother Italian? Was his grandfather Italian? What's his passport going to be like? How quickly can we get him an Italian passport? Does that still occur? It does, but there's also a caveat that they have to play. Uh, and in Italy and be part of the Italian uh, Hockey Federation for 16 months prior to the Olympics. So this season actually is the last season that we can recruit and we call them double passport players that have ancestry of uh, grandparents or and or parents uh, that were born in Italy. And as you know, particularly in the Toronto region, it's incredible number of Italians, but all over North America that play hockey. So we can recruit those players and then um, be part of the competitive process in, in terms of uh, selecting the team. So at this point, there's, and maybe you'd be a little bit surprised, but there'll be, there'll be some double passport players that will compete that won't make it compared to the Italian players. So where I live is in Bolzano, Italy. That's in the Dolomites, the Alps. And it was interesting for me when I first arrived that every small community has an ice hockey arena and an ice hockey minor program. And there's more arenas in that region than all of Europe. Hmm. It's a very wealthy region. It's the wealthiest region in the country. And those children, male and female, that do one of two sports or both, they either play hockey or ski and in the winter, and most of them uh, do both. So it's it's interesting that the the level, and and, and it, at one time, uh, guys, it was even more uh, incredible because there were more at that uh, a few years ago, the Ron Chipperfield days and so on, more import players that drove the level of hockey up and now that uh, they don't have the same uh, financial resources and the the, uh, the advent of the khl those players have gone to make and they go to germany they go to switzerland they go to sweden uh finland uh we recruit everybody because they some of the better italian players can make more money than they can in italy but the competitive base is building as we recruit more Mike, um, you know, you're probably one of the, the, the best guys to answer a question like this. Um, you know, a place like Canada obviously has a great hockey culture. Infrastructure is not really an issue. Same thing with the United States, maybe Russia as well, although obviously now post-war, who really knows? But when it comes to a place like Italy, like what's realistic in terms of the number of years, um, if you really wanted to get this thing, I don't even know if competitive is the right word, but Get get the Italians to a place, let's say, where like making the Olympics regularly was a thing. Like, is it a twenty five year project? Is it a forty year project? Or can like this be done fairly quickly? Uh, that's a great question, and and uh, we're going to see the reality of it in twenty twenty six. But um, the the possibility of youngsters improving and and developing becomes greater. The the difficulty is for them to aspire to be professionals because a lot of the young players in their twenties and early thirties play, but eventually they have, and most of them are educated because they, they realize that eventually they got to go to the working world and unless they can make a jump to uh, the NHL, we just had a young player, first Italian goalie, the first Italian player drafted in the second round by Anaheim. And he's got a great future uh, as a professional hockey player in the NHL. He is very, very impressive. And as an athlete. So he's on your team. 
Uh, he could be. He's play, playing in Sweden right now. Yeah, by the time 26 comes around, uh, see, we we have these players playing in Germany, Sweden, Switzerland. Uh, a lot of the better players aren't playing in the country. However, we do have some solid players playing. There's three major cities now involved in the, the ice league, it's called. And that includes mostly Austrian teams and some Slovakian, some uh, Slovenian, some Hungarian, uh, but mostly mostly uh, Austrian and the, the three big Italian teams. So uh, that's where the development is in, my, in Italy itself. Uh, curiosity, uh, you uh, at one point, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because in addition to coaching in Magnitogorsk in the KHL, you, you coached in uh, the KHL for the team in, in China, correct? That is correct. The stars, the the the, the Kunlun Star, correct? Uh, the Kunlun uh, Reds, Red yeah. Star. And, okay. Uh, so, how, but, but just I'm just curious. Um, you were supposed to coach the team in Beijing, weren't you originally? Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, what happened was, and and I always joke with the Russians when that I had a great experience there, and the hockey players, as you know, are. I mean, I coached against even Samsonov. I coached Samsonov, who's the goalie, uh, the Leafs goalie, yeah. and many other star players in, in the NHL. But so after I was there for three years, uh, China has to now host the Winter Olympics, and they haven't got a clue what they're doing. So they go to the Russians and ask the Russians, can you recommend somebody to help us prepare for this program? And they said, absolutely. We're going to recommend Mike Keenan. So I have breakfast with them. They give me a litany of things to do that would take 10 coaches and an incredible number of support staff to even execute that program. So I said to guys, uh, I can't, I don't want to undertake that, but I'll help you. So I became an advisor. Uh, the first year was coached by a Russian coach. And then he decided to quit and leave. They asked me to come and coach, which I did. And then, uh, as you know, John, I went through the prostate cancer right. deal and I came home back to North America. Uh, thank goodness things went well and everything's fine. Uh, but that was the beginning of that program. And, and uh, unlike the program we're in now, and you're probably aware of it, but the Chinese signed guys who had no heritage whatsoever, like Chris Chelly's son, Right, played for Team China. He's the farthest thing from a from a, a, a person with Chinese background than anyone. But <laughs> that's how they operated and and moved forward. So, and they were probably very fortunate that the NHL players didn't show up. Right. So the competitive base was not as strong. Just Richard, before you jump in, just do you, can you know the Chinese well? We know the Russians well, but you, you, you're starting to know the Chinese well. It, can you see the Chinese developing a, a league? I don't think they will. The, the, the Chinese uh, have the team in the KHL, and that was politically motivated. Uh, the, both the presidents came together, and I think it was, it was part of uh, economic uh, um, uh, direction and or it had a lot to do with the oil industry right so uh, that's how that came about and i think that they actually made uh, some kind of stipulation that china if you want to be part of our economic uh, system in terms of the oil business then you've got to enter a team in the khl so <laughs> i mean the khl is owned primarily by the oligarchs they right. all have to have a team and certainly that was the case in mcnitigorsk where i worked the fellow owned the owned the uh, steel factory and employed sixty thousand people, so it was. Uh, and I, I was actually employed by the factory, so. <laughs> so if you didn't it, win, it was appropriate, you, John. By the way, Iron Mike, you know, if, if if you didn't win, were you going to get sent under the line, or what was going he, on? You never knew. I didn't want to take that chance. <laughs> Mike, what? Um... So what was, I mean, what's life like for you? Obviously, you know, in some ways you're, the, the team should be taking care of you, giving you some kind of housing, 
Um, maybe if you need a translator that that's available, I assume food is, you know, readily accessible and stuff like that. That said, you are still in a foreign country in a very, very different culture than what you grew up in. So what was that? You know, I, I mean, you clearly like the challenge because you've done this before and you're doing it again, but is, was it hard to initially make the, um, I don't know, the transition or to navigate just being in a very, very different world? Well, I can say that uh, one important thing that I realized, and I was actually embarrassed about my own decision-making as a manager in the NHL when I arrived in Russia. And I told Mike Polino, who came with me, and I asked Mike to join me, and he did. I said, Mike, the most important thing that we can do is to understand and not to be understood. Mm -hmm. Understand the culture that we're working in understand the people, understand the mentality. And we did that very well. And what I just referenced that I was embarrassed, I can recall sitting in Russia, not in where I lived, it was in Heartland, uh, the Ural Mountains, Dr. Shivago, you guys are old enough to know all of that. And very, very, very few people could speak English. So I'm sitting there and I'm now I've got a translator to help me, but I'm reflecting now as a manager. I brought players over from Russia, from Europe, from everywhere, and I gave them no help. How do you go to a bank? How do you rent an apartment? How do you get a car? How do you go buy food? How do you go to a restaurant? Pavel Burry couldn't speak a, a lick of English when he arrived. And I think the agents took part in, in helping them, but the teams... Even Igor Kravchuk, he'd speak fluent English, so that was an exception, but he was the first Russian ever to be drafted by Chicago Blackhawks. I drafted him. But then I'm sitting now in Russia, reverse row. How do I go to a restaurant to order food? And I'm with Mike, both neither one of us could speak Russian. You How point. do I go to the grocery you, store? You point. <laughs> so, you know, we figured it out, but um that was the thing that really, really assisted us in terms of we won a championship, the first North American coaches to win a championship in our first year, the one in the third year. Um, uh, so that experience in itself helped. The transition in China was a little bit easier because as in Italy, everybody could speak English. Mm -hmm. they, they started a program in China 10 or 15 years ago that it's mandatory to take English. So in Italian, yeah, the culture is different. There is a difference. You know, I, I'll share a story with you. We're having a tournament and the guy says, well, I can't make it. I said, well, what do you mean? It's a very important tournament. He says, well, I've already made arrangements with my, with my girlfriend to go to Rome. So I said, okay, that's a very good decision, but you're supposed to be a hockey player. And so that was kind of a thing that we have to understand. And, and at the same time, we now have made a more of a structural approach to them and say, listen, if you want to be part of the Olympic team, which they want to be, they, they would love to be part, particularly playing in Italy. Then I said, you have to show up for the tournaments when you're invited. And if you don't, we'll have to move on to the next person. So, you know, they, they, it was kind of less a fair, for a while and and now we're putting some structure into it which is necessary to build the team to build the continuity uh and to gather and 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 uh, uh develop the best team that we can for team italy by the time the 26 olympics roll around i can tell you what richard mike's bought into this style because he doesn't just call it hockey anymore he calls it ice hockey yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so you, you, you've no, learned. I'll tell you, though, that uh, you go back when I went to Russia, it yeah. was an unbelievable experience. I mean, first of all, John, they, they, I was recognized everywhere in Russia because of the 87 Canada, Canada Cup. Cup, sure. It was, it was the Soviet Union and it was broadcast in the Soviet Union. So everybody knew my face. But the history there, and I got into the history, I lived in the Baza which the Russian teams, the Soviet Union pushed to put them in. And Russian 
when they when they first got involved with hockey, they didn't call it hockey. They called it Canadian hockey. <laughs> Canadian hockey. It wasn't hockey. It was Canadian hockey. Yeah. So, you know, we had a big, big influence on 72 and then 87. Uh, Tikhanov was the coach and, of sure. course, uh, was there when I was there. So it's interesting. I mean, I, my first year I won Coach of the Year and the presenter at the awards banquet was Tikhanov to me. Wow. So it was incredible, actually. Yeah, I tell you what, we're going to uh, we're going to continue this discussion and maybe get back into some of the stuff uh, that happened on this side of the Atlantic with Mike and maybe even going back to that first World Junior Championship that really wasn't the first World Junior Championship. It was Mike Keenan's Peterborough Peets going to uh, Europe and beating the heck out of everybody, (laughs) beating beating the heck out of everybody. So we better have a real tournament. Mike Keenan with Richard Deitch and John Shannon on the McCowan podcast back after this. Welcome back to the podcast. Richard in for Bob this week and uh, Iron Mike Keenan's with us. Uh, So Mike, uh, by the way, how, how far back do, do the Russians now think of the game? Do they remember th- their roots in the game, or do do they do they do they remember seventy two versus eighty seven? The older generation does, but the majority of the generation now remembers more of eighty seven. You know, the greatest names, not to slight seventy two, but oh. uh, that the, such a powerful team the Soviet Union had. And uh, the 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 hockey that was played in that series, and Gretzky has described it as the best hockey he's ever played, um, impacted that country in a big way. I'm not sure if 72 was broadcast throughout Russia, and maybe what some of the audience would know, but I know 87 was throughout the country. And that really set the stage for uh hockey well Tarasov started it and then it went off the from Tarasov to Tikhan and and uh or um many other long-term coaches of Verovia but coached there for 25 years and so it 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 developed its roots from Canada yeah, well, I mean, didn't I mean, it, 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 Lloyd Percival's book of hockey wasn't that the wasn't that where that's where Tarasov read about the game? I think that's correct, but I also studied that book myself. Oh, you did? I did, and uh, interesting that you would know. I mean, as the older generation, we know a little bit about it, but yeah, that was a very a big part of it. But and then the the training techniques and the living style and having the team sequestered for 11 months and they can't go home to their families. And, but that was their military duty. And so it was a uh, very, very interesting uh, uh, experience, not just because of the hockey and the hockey was great. Yeah. And, you know, I visited when I was coaching, there was nine countries in that league <laughs> and I traveled from, the farthest east was Vladivostok, which is on the Sea of Japan. Right. And the farthest west was Croatia. Wow. And the farthest north was Finland. Right. And the farthest south was Kazakhstan. So it was incredible. I I was we were in every major city in Russia, and all these other countries. It was incredible. All all up through Latvia and all old Soviet Union states and so it was you know we we trained in in, uh, the olympic stadiums throughout russia it was pretty pretty interesting you uh mike you mentioned that you coached uh samsonov when uh yes he was in russia i wonder for uh the leafs fans listening what um what were your observations of him and if you can extrapolate from your observations of him there to what he's become in the nhl well, first of all, he was very young, uh, and uh, he had a backup role, um, but he accepted pretty well. He was very mature, and his parents, who could speak a little bit of English, were very, very supportive. And uh, 
you know, you could see that he was going to be a fairly big man. He was dedicated. Uh, he was really respectful. He listened well. He trained hard. And you could see that he had, and and so many of us describe young players as having the potential. It's, it's what they, what they can extract, uh, you know, extract from themselves or dedicate themselves to make that job, particularly goaltending position. Right. Um, but he he was an impressive young player. Is there is there a group of players, Russian players, that still dream of? coming here and playing in the NHL or are they satisfied with the K? No, their dream is to come to the NHL. No question about it. They, that they, they, they enjoy that the fact that the uh, Putin formed a league and invited a lot of countries and it, it's worked out well for them. And it was a brilliant political move because it united the, the country. And I don't, don't know if you realize, I think there's nine time zones. So, Right. You start the games at 12 noon in Vladivostok and you play the national anthem before every game. You go across the country. They've heard it nine times each day by the time you get to Croatia. And every uh, city now is cheering for their team. and But they're all part of Russia. Yeah, the, the Russian players for sure want to play in the NHL. And uh, if they can't make it, then certainly... The KHL is a great alternative for them. Mike, um, again, it's a little tricky because you're not in an NHL front office, but you certainly have uh, the previous experience. How would you evaluate today's Russian prospects, given the fact that the country is involved um, in, in a military conflict? Uh, there's geopolitical concerns in terms of the fact that the Russians are the ones who invaded. And you're not sure exactly, I think, if you're an NHL team, like, can we get this guy here to the States or to Canada? Um, and how long might it take, let's say, even if we could get them? At the same time, I know it's a long question, some of this talent is probably incredible. Like, the, you know, you, you can get somebody who's a, literally a game changer for your franchise. So how would, as someone who literally coached there, how would you evaluate that kind of calculation? Well, that's, again, a very interesting question. And I, I, I will... Uh, lean into a little bit of the political response to begin with. And that would be my political question would be, is Canada going to allow them to come in? Great question. Is, is the Canadian government going to allow a young Russian to come into Canada or is the United States going to allow, well, they, they allow, uh, they all allow Ovechkin to come over. Yeah, they did, but that was before the war. I'm talking about now, after the war. And so, yes, but I, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight of what's going on on the other side. And it, there's a great debate about, you know, whether the Canadian players should go and play in Russia now. Yeah. But what the do reality you think? Is should they? they? They, well, let me, I'll just finish in a second. And then the reality is that they are. And, they are going there to play because they can make a lot of money. And if they're part of the imports, there's only five imports per team allowed. They can be compensated generously compared to what they would make in the American League, for example, or or going up and down between the NHL and, and the American League. Now, the other part of it, people wouldn't know i don't think right now is that they in reference to the first uh, thing that i mentioned would canadian kids be able to go into russia with the russian conversely can they go back in the united states or canada so what they're doing to offset that is actually providing russian passports to those canadian players signed by putin Wow. And that's a something that very few of your audience, if anybody, would know that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, well, listen, you 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 coached against a, a flyer draft pick who they're trying to get out of the big goalie, Fedotov. Fedotov, sorry. Yes. Um, and it looks like he may end up showing up in Philadelphia. Well, again, there's going to there's a political implications that somebody is going to in Philadelphia has to 
make that clearance yeah. for that player to get to the United States. And there's always an exception for athletes, for artists, for musicians, for special talented people. Um, you know, you ask the question, should they? That's a tough question to answer because some of these kids are making a million plus dollars. Yeah. Would never have a chance to do that anywhere else. So. Well, the Flyers also drafted their first pick this year, young guy named Mishkov, yeah, who's who's supposed to be a, a, the next Kaprizov um, if he gets here. Um, mm -hmm. But it, now it, it may take him two or three years based on his KHL contract to get here, and who knows where we're going to be by then. Exactly, but in the meantime, it's a great developmental uh, league for these young players. That that league is is much better than American League, yeah. for example. So they they developed Kudnitsov and uh, all these kids were playing when I was there, and they're they're superstars. Yeah. So hey, Mike, I want to go, go ahead. No, oh, Richard, you go. Yeah, I mean, want to make sure we get this uh, during our time with Mike. Um, so Mike, you know, you have this really interesting assignment with Italy. Um, it's going to you know take you some time, obviously, in terms of. Uh, that work experience but where do you stand like writ large with the NHL in terms of if an opportunity arose would and I'm not making just necessarily head coach I'm I'm going to make it like intentionally broad if an opportunity arose with the NHL would you still be interested in going to that league uh, I would say yes depending on what the assignment would be but as John knows, um, uh, I was working on Sportsnet with him as well. And I said, you know, I proved that I could coach. We go over and we win a championship my first year. So um, I got pushed out of the NHL a long time ago. So I had never have had the expectation that anybody would ever invite me for whatever reasons. Uh, I never thought I would end up. No one would ask me to come and help them. You're a hard-headed guy. That's why you got the that Mike Keenan. You got the Mike Keenan way, and that's it. Come on. Well, that might be true, but it's has been <laughs> successful, and they're most of them are looking for win championship rounds. So. I, I'm just telling you why you're why you know you don't get as many phone calls from the National I League. I don't get any, John. Not many. <laughs> So looking back, um, gosh, uh, you know the Rangers. The Rangers had to be something special. '94 had to be something special. But you made an impact, like in Chicago, Mike. See, to me, uh, and like you were perfect for Chicago. Well, that was a really great experience as well. And I was the ended up being the manager and the coach. But yeah, we assembled, you know, three of four years that I coached, we went to the final four um, in, in the beginning with not, not very good teams. Uh, we go to the, we win the President's Trophy. We win the, uh, or go to the Stanley Cup Finals, Pittsburgh beats us. And probably one of the greatest impacts that we were able to have on that franchise is that when I first went there, there was only 8,000 people in the stands. And after right. my first year or during my first year, you couldn't get a ticket. And that thereafter, you could never get a ticket to get into that stadium. And then the very first trade that I made as a general manager in NHL, which was a very difficult trade to make, was to send Dennis Savard to Montreal for Chris Chelios and a draft pick. Right. So that, that trade in itself really impacted the franchise chris brought in and set a standard and helped change the culture at that time when it started to wane a bit and it brought it back to life so and i had a great experience in philadelphia bobby clark was a super general manager brand new uh worked well let me do my thing and you know bob was so confident in himself he Whatever I did, did certainly wasn't pressing for him. I got to tell you, I got to tell you a story. I got to tell you a story, Richard. Okay. So we're we're 1987 Stanley Cup final. Edmonton Oilers, Philadelphia Flyers. 
Oilers can win in uh, Oilers can win the cup uh, in game five at home. Rick Tockett scores a goal. I think the key goal and, and the Flyers win game five. They go back to Philadelphia. Uh, Oilers, Oilers can still win the cup in six games. Flyers win at home back for game seven in Edmonton. So this is pressure packed three, three in the series. Mike Keenan and Bobby Clark are the management coaching staff in, in Philly. Ronnie Hextall is their goalie. He's going to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. The night before the game, the night before the game, what do you think, what do you think the coach and manager of the Philadelphia Flyers are doing about eight o'clock for a six o'clock game the next night? What do you think they should be doing? Now, if it was my team and I was the owner, I would say, make sure you're focused, make sure you're having a low key night and you're, and you're not doing anything really special. I walk into a little bar in Edmonton called the Rosen Crown at the Four Seasons Hotel. And there's these two guys at the bar and they're probably about four beer in. And it's Mike Keenan and Bobby Clark saying, is this the best time of life or what? Game seven of the Stanley cup final. Am I right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. But it was a hell of a game too. Oh, that was a hell of a series. Yeah. yeah. That was a, that was a hell of a series. So, so the, 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 uh, the, the truth be known in 85, when we played for the oh. cup too, we had so many injuries as we did in 87, but I asked Bobby who became the general manager. And this is a little in inside story, but um, he still had the itch to play. So he used to suit up every day in practice. And I said, okay, I don't have a problem, but when you're on the ice as a player with the gear on, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. When you don't have it on, you're the boss. He <laughs> said, that works for me. So then we, we get into this final against Edmonton. We're really running out of players. So I try to convince him to sign a short contract to play in the finals <laughs> for us. And it came very, very, very close. Out wow. of respect for the players who had got the work done to get there, he wouldn't do it. But I tried to coerce him into, Bobby, we need you. We could use you. So... <laughs> I said, you've trained all year. You've practiced all year. It's not like you're putting your gear on for the first time in six months. So ah, that would have been fascinating. Um, yeah. So two quick things. One, you guys were mentioning at the beginning of the podcast, the 2002 Salt Lake games. I covered that for us Sports Illustrated. That was my first Olympics. And uh, the one thing I remember, Mike, and I know, John, you were part of this, was just the military presence in Salt Lake because it was so right after 2001 and you saw soldiers all over the place you saw these gigantic uh tanks and armor never forget that especially in the united states um and so um yeah that uh that that sort of that that memory um always stays with me the other thing is my god as the native new yorker here and i lived in new york city for nearly 20 years um i think and maybe it's a bit of a new york cliche you know new yorkers are always like this but there has to be something unique about winning in New York City, just because like the history of that city, even like parades, whether it's like Neil Armstrong or the Yankees, it's Canyon just like, of Champions, the Canyon of Champions. Yeah, right. It's just like if the I like Chicago, obviously, is a great American city, too. But for you, as someone who actually were part of it, led a team to it as a coach, did that like is that cliche true? Like, does it feel different to win a pro championship in New York? Well, I, I didn't win any other Stanley Cups in any other city, but it was exceptional. And no question about it, the million people at the parade, uh, the excitement. I can still recall today the moment that we won the Cup, I thought the roof was going to be blown off by the volume and the noise in the building. It was exceptional. And, and uh, certainly the experience overall was incredible and i don't know if you could ever duplicate that in any other city not to be saying that other cities can't celebrate uh, extraordinary well and and uh, you know tr and, and it had been 54 years since they won and and there's a lot of teams right now that have had that kind of drought we only uh, know of one really mike we're, we're living in one yeah <laughs> you're living in it i know but um 
Yeah, it was very, very special and a big disappointment for me not to be able to go back there because I thought we could repeat with the team we had and and the experience. Uh, 87 or 94, which jumps to mind first? Wow. Um, Great question again. uh, I can't separate them. I can't separate them. 94 is a, a long journey. It begins in training camp and you go preseason, play 80 game plus and playoffs and you win in game seven. In game seven, again, yeah. that, then you got this epic series with the Soviet Union. The last time Canada played the Soviet Union for a gold medal with the greatest young players that Canada could provide the exceptional players, the best player ever in the game playing for Team Canada. Just it's inseparable in terms of a different the, the the one thing in 87, I still remember John, we were down early three goals in game three. And I'm walking on the bench talking to myself. He said, I said, self, you better figure out a way of getting this done. Otherwise you're gonna go out the exit, get in your car, drive to your cottage in Georgian Bay, get in your boat and go to Christian Island and live there for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, so, the, the, what, what people don't remember, that, like the impact of the 87 series, every game was 6-5, correct? Yes. Every right. game in the seri- in the three-game series was 6-5. And at a certain point, almost every one of those r- Soviet players ended up playing in the NHL too, and which, was, yes. which makes it really, I mean, you know, Slava Fatisov to me was such oh, a yeah. driving force on the blue line for them. And, it was, it, it was a cool time. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the line, you know, right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. the line with Krutov and Larianov. And, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure somebody has done this, like, in terms of the numbers. But just think about how many NHL Hall of Famers were on the ice when Mike oh. was there. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. Hey, but, so we're going to end this uh, right now, but uh, when's the book out? Well, Scott Morrison and I, and, and God bless uh, Jay Greenberg, started the the project and passed away so it was really put on hold for a year and then scott who was assisting jay to his extent you know their relationship both, yes yep yeah uh, working in toronto and and uh so scott uh is picking it up and moving it forward and probably i think the the objective would be by christmas time fantastic well you know what we, uh, for the uh, Richard, I will tell you right now, we have mutual friends. Mike and I have lots of mutual friends. And, uh, long before I met Mike, all my friends said, you and Mike will get along. You <laughs> and Mike will have fun. And we have always had fun. Had fun. Yeah. Right, Mike? Exactly. Right. So just to finish the, the program here, yeah, you, you said that you're stubborn, Iron Mike, but when you were running hockey night in Canada, you were described as stubborn John. So. Do not bring that. Do not bring that up. That okay. is not fair. I'm, You're not the host. I'm the host. I get okay. that. <laughs> That's Mike Keenan with Richard and I. Michael, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Have a great back day. At, back after this. So, Richard, I got, I've got to ask you, as as the resident New Yorker on the program, you uh, you. You, you talked about winning championships there. Um, you know, and I, the, the first four championships I produced for Hockey Night in Canada were the first four Islander championships. Oh, wow. Including Bob Nystrom's overtime goal in 1980. That was my first Stanley Cup final. But winning on Long Island is not like winning in Manhattan, is it? No. And, you know, I say that as someone who lived on Long Island, and those Islander teams were so important to the community, and it was incredible. Those teams are those teams were incredible. Um, but no, the reality is it's not. Um, I, I'm, you know, like every New Yorker, I'm cynical. So I'm not buying all the over the top, the garden, Frank Sinatra, the Mecca of the world. But John, it still is midtown Manhattan. Yeah. Still New York City. It's still the media and financial capital of the United States. And if you win there, it does feel different. It's magnified because everything there gets magnified and so that ranger stanley cup like still whatever it is right 30 plus years it like it 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 still matters like it still matters to people 
So what about the Knicks? You're a basketball fan. What about the Knicks? Well, I mean, they've, you know, they've turned it around where they're at least competitive and you can, they're watchable, but it's sort of the same thing. There's like, there are now generations of Knicks fans who have not seen them win a title. They came close in 94 in the, you know, when Jordan left, but um, it would have the same, the the way the Rangers resonated, John, it would be the same exact thing. It would really mean a lot to the people who love basketball in that community. I don't see it happening anytime soon i will say john um you know i've never talked to mike keenan before that and again i I can't say i ever covered him i don't know him at all he has lived a fascinating hockey oh (laughs) when you think i mean i think you know started philadelphia chicago rangers st louis vancouver florida calgary those are the teams he coached uh, and we didn't get to it. I, I, I actually, he, I think he's a classic case. And it's funny. The greatest coach of all time is Scotty Bowman. Greatest coach of all time. Great. Scotty was a great, great, great coach. Scotty was a mediocre manager. No, Scotty be mad for me saying that. But Mike Keenan was a great coach. And he was a mediocre manager. And it makes you think that the, there's something in their DNA that they have to be hands-on be behind the bench to create strategy and motivation for their guys. And that you could, I think you can see that when Mike speaks, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, he's incredibly intelligent and, you know, the line about genius and madness, right? It's not, not so far, far apart. I, I think Mike Keenan, it strikes me, he would be a hard guy to play for, but I also know I'd win. So it really is about who you are as a player. That's why to me, and again, very, very much from the outside, I say this, Mark Messier felt like the iconic player for Mike Keenan because he was so built to win already. It was all self-motivation. So um, what a fa- – I mean, real, like, I really enjoyed it. That, it. that was a fascinating conversation. Well, he, he and he's one of those guys that uh, you could sit and talk with for hours on end about philosophy of hockey – uh about life away from the game and and as he mentioned he's he's had his own bancers uh battles with cancer and uh come through them and here he is in his uh, 70s uh back wanting to do what he loves to do and that's coach hockey and it is for italy and there's a good chance that mike keenan will be in uh, italy for the olympics in 2026 and we have our still have our fingers crossed that the nhl will be there in 2026 richard thanks for this Thank you, John. Tomorrow, we talk a little bit about the media landscape, the future, what's going on, cable networks, rights fees, streaming. We'll do that tomorrow with Scott Moore, the former president of Sportsnet. Have a great day, folks. 